Blue Wire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 13 of That's What Be Said. I am your host at Breezy Clee, and I am joined by my fellow co-hosts, Brittany Mollis and Meredith Kane at Bird's Eye View and at MK on Sports. I'm in a great saucy mood, ladies. I cannot wait for this podcast. How are you two doing? I just realized that this is episode 13, which means it's lucky number 13. Or yeah, is I actually unlucky? is thirteen unlucky. Thirteen's unlucky, but I called last week's episode thirteen. But really, this is thirteen, so oh, no. I apologize. I screwed we, up. We well, we lost track because we had so many bonus pods because of all the breaking news. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny. We didn't do an emergency podcast for this hiring. Well, because here's the thing: like the the firing of Freddie Kitchens and the firing of John Dorsey was breaking news. Like, yeah, we were expecting Freddie. To lose his job we weren't expecting him to lose it that quickly and then with john dorsey it was on the fence so obviously that was something that warranted an emergency podcast but with the head coaching hire like they talked to eight different guys we knew that it was coming so it was good i think to wait until our normal recording schedule because we got to hear uh kevin stefanski talk today paul de podesta talk today did I yeah. just say pocked? Pocked. <laughs> <laughs> Paul D. Podesta came out of the shadows and talked today. Jimmy Haslam talked today, and we'll get into all of that later in the podcast. But yeah, we are on a regular recording schedule, and the Browns have a new head coach, and now they're on the search for their next GM. Yeah, so I've been stewing, you guys, for three days now, and I cannot <laughs> wait. So we've broken down this this episode podcast. We, we're calling it The Good the bad, the ugly, and the analytics. So there's been a lot going on, and we're going to jump into the good, because as Meredith mentioned, last week we were going through our head coaching candidates trying to figure out which direction the Browns were going to go. Brittany gave some really sound advice to make sure that you review the candidates and maybe find some positives within each of them. A lot of which, people did not listen, listen. to Brittany's listened. advice. You people never listen to me. When are you going to learn that eventually, sometimes I'm correct about things. I know this is shocking, but once in a while, I give good advice about things. Good advice you should probably take. And this was one of those things. Yeah. So we're going to kick off with the good, Brittany. And it's that the Cleveland Browns stuck to their plan. And you may argue that their plan wasn't the right plan. We don't know that. But we do know that they took their time. They did their due diligence, they had a vision, and they ended up with the one guy that seemed to check all of their boxes. Yes. And one of the main things that was on that list was the organizational alignment. And we want to talk about this a little bit more in depth because there's a lot of fans that are on, I think, two different sides that we've identified. And one of them is the, they don't trust the ownership, therefore they're not bought into this hire. There is the John Mc, Josh, Josh McDaniels crowd that it was him or bust and now everyone's depressed. Mm-hmm. And then there is the, I'm going to give this hire a shot, the positive crowd. And I think that's where we fall in. Oh, absolutely. No doubt. I feel like everything worked out for me perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> Except here's the problem. What I accidentally did by endorsing Kevin Stefanski weeks ago and saying ultimately this is the guy that I think is going to get it and this is the guy that I want to get it is that now I have to remember when there was Deshaun Kaiser and then there was Colin I become like a punching bag for these people 
where any any time they do anything like saturday thank god i wasn't on twitter thank god because i was watching that vikings game and i'm seeing everything that he's doing wrong i'm seeing him getting destroyed by san francisco and i'm like you know what if i were on twitter right now i'd be hearing about it i know it and i don't i don't want to be a spokesperson for anyone anymore so please guys <laughs> don't don't attack me when these people do when kevin stefanski messes up and he will like of course that's to be expected i don't want to be the go-to person for this and like when i got back on i told you i said i'm gonna be real quiet about this i'm not gonna say anything yet because i don't i don't want to, to people to come to me and be like oh stefanski blah 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 i didn't want to hear it but then I saw people attacking you, and I had to jump in and defend you. <laughs> well, listen, you had a double whammy, though, because Lamar Jackson also lost. Oh, my lost. God. Oh so my you God. actually picked the perfect time to really just disconnect because you're also a stand for Lamar. It was so bad because, fr- okay, I deactivated it on Friday morning because I didn't want to see all these people falling over themselves to, you know, I, I'm trying not to be gross here. But Josh McDaniels, that whole situation, I was like, oh, God, I'm not going to sit here and watch grown men fawning over this man. Like, I can't do it. So I just deactivated. I was like, I'll come back once they announce the coach. No big deal. Of course, Saturday, you know, the Vikings went out and shit the bed. And then Lamar Jackson shit the bed. And I'm like, oh, my God, I picked the perfect (laughs) time to not be around. Like, everything is working for me right now. And my hot streak is continuing, guys. Everything seems to be going my way right now. Everything's coming up, Brittany. It is. That's my only victory. That's the only victory lap I'll take. Yeah, and so the organizational alignment that seemed to be like one of the main keys in this entire hire, Mm -hmm. I think everybody's having a really hard time wrapping their head around what this even means. And does this mean that Jimmy Haslam has all the power and that Paul DePodesta is just up in a control booth making the final say of everything and Kevin Stefanski doesn't have the final say he's not really the head coach everybody else is running the shots and Mm -hmm. I just want to say that it feels like a year and a half ago the Haslam's actually did wield some power to John Dorsey and ultimately he was the decision maker of hiring Freddie Kitchens Mm -hmm. he was making game day roster decisions throughout the last year and a half I think he made some really, really great moves from a roster standpoint through trades and through draft. Yep. But I think that he had a lot of faults that we've been pretty open about calling out. And that giving John Dorsey the power didn't end up on the positive side here either. So I'm having a hard time understanding why everybody doesn't want to have this collaborative work environment and coaching staff. Right. So I will say this, from what I've heard about Kevin Stefanski, he is very open and amenable to new ideas and new schemes because it seemed to me like when Josh McDaniels came in, he said, this is the scheme that I want to run. This is how I want to run it. And it's not necessarily the vision of what Jimmy Haslam and Paul D. Podesta had. And that was, you know, one of the things that ultimately caused the riff and, you know, made Josh McDaniels not want to come to Cleveland. But from what I've heard of Stefanski, it's all like, OK, yeah, like I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to do this. Like, let me know about it. Like, he seems to be very open-minded on any on everything and it doesn't seem like he's coming in saying it's my way or the highway it's you know if you think that this is 
how we're going to win, I'm willing to try it. And I right. think that that's really where a lot of this comes from, because we even saw it on Hard Knocks a few years ago. There's infighting with Freddie Kitchens and Todd Haley. There's infighting with Hugh Jackson. There was infighting last year as well. And it's just like one of the things that I've heard over and over and over again from people inside the building is that you can't force a marriage. And that's what it always felt like with coach and GM was that, you know, you're forcing Hugh and Sashi to like Sashi Brown had his vision and then he was given Hugh Jackson and Hugh Jackson didn't want to, you know, go on with that vision. Hugh Jackson didn't agree with it. So then you had, you know, Hugh Jackson and Sashi Brown butting heads. You had Freddie Kitchens and John Dorsey butting heads because John Dorsey would be stepping in and making these roster decisions like on game day. And it was just so much chaos. So now you have someone like Kevin Stefanski coming in and saying, okay, let's work together. And I think that's where a lot of people are feeling very, very good about him. Yeah. And like, I've said this before, and I think I've probably said at least like four or five times, but I think to me, the number one problem of the Cleveland Browns during the past couple of years has been the power struggle, right? So these things can't work if people aren't on the same page and things can't work if you're not going to work in the same direction. So, you know, I like to think of it as like raising kids, right? Okay. Bree, you and your, <laughs> you and your like, spouse. Do you have kids? Yeah, no, please. Not that I know of. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you would know. <laughs> okay, so you and your spouse, you need to be on the same page when it comes to this, right? Like, you need Correct. to have a plan, you need to have structure, you need to be on the same team to make this all work. And if you're not, the kids are like in a constant state of chaos, you're always fighting, they're being bad at school, it's a complete mess. So I want people to apply the same logic to the franchise. This is what has been going on for years. There's been a power struggle between Sashi and Hugh. Um, like Meredith said, Hugh, Haley, Dorsey, Dorsey, De Podesta, Kitchens. Nobody's ever been on the same page. Um, you know, Haslam has never established a solid foundation. So, you know, think of him as like the parents here. He's never had parents working together to raise the kids. So I think, I hope, I pray that we're finally going to get that. And, you know, I, I'm i pretty sure that this will make a big difference if everyone is working together, if everyone's on the same page for once. Yeah, and I was pretty open last week about talking about wanting to bring a guy in that wasn't so egotistical and having this mindset of just having to fix the Browns and they were going to come in and be the savior of the Cleveland Browns and wash away all of the problems and take this this load on their shoulders, which I think you can't do that. And we're going to get into the press conference a little bit later and we'll get into that, but it does feel like he doesn't have this huge ego. And from what we've heard around the league and Joe Thomas had reached out to a bunch of players that have worked with him and they all described him as a leader. And that again was one of the main boxes that the Haslam's wanted to check off in hiring this coach. And I think we're all questioning, is he a leader? You know, he doesn't have the experience from a head coaching position. Can he command a room? But I think if you listen to him today, he does have those leadership components. Like leadership is not, it's not defined by age. It's not defined by experience, mm -hmm. like necessarily. It truly is like, can you get people to believe in what you're trying to sell? Are you authentic? All of those things are very important. And just hearing his former players and former coaches that he's worked with speak about him, it made me more confident going into this season. I would say uh, I talked with Alex Boone today, who is a former lineman, played under Kevin Stefanski in Minnesota, and he is just 
all in. Like he he used some very, very colorful language when speaking positively about Kevin Stefanski. And he thinks that uh, that he's kind of got like that that perfect plan for Cleveland. And we, we have this in the notes and talking about this this run first offense. But I will say this about Joe Thomas. And I'm going to preface this by saying I absolutely love and adore Joe Thomas, but he is very positive about everybody all the time. So sometimes when I hear Joe Thomas talking so glowingly about someone, I'm also like, well, you also had really positive things to say about Johnny Manziel and Jake DeLome. So <laughs> fair. <laughs> like, I love you, Joe, but you're very you, he's so nice. He's never going to say a bad thing about anybody. So but with with Alex Boone, another former lineman, uh, if he doesn't like someone, he's going to come out and say it. So the fact that he was overwhelmingly positive about Stefanski today, I think, should give people um, a little bit of hope and uh, a little bit of excitement for this up- upcoming season. Yeah, I think, you know, with people really gravitated toward McDaniels and, you know, the 49ers defensive coordinator. I still can't remember his last name. Is it Salah? Salah. 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 Whatever. Okay, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Irrelevant now, guys. But you know, he's really still in San Francisco. Who cares? <laughs> when I was watching that game on on Saturday, um, and it was between Stefanski and him, like essentially, that's what they were reporting. He there was before the game, he was running up and down the stairs, and I was like, oh, here we go. This is it. <laughs> this is the moment that they're gonna be like, oh yeah, he gets us. I like to run too. This is my guy. <laughs> wait, like, do I people in Cleveland like that. to run? Wait, wait, people in Cleveland like to run. Apparently, I mean, <laughs> okay. Apparently, apparently, everyone runs stadium stairs. <laughs> very common thing all right as soon as i saw him doing that i was like this is not my guy (laughs) no but you know i guess in a football sense this kind of stuff makes sense you're like yeah football i'm gonna use my football guy voice football guys yeah run grunt spit burp and like that's cool but the the thing that i like about stefanski is that you don't always the best leader doesn't mean he has to be the loudest guy in the room, okay? Not everything's a pissing contest. This guy comes in, he, today at the press conference, he was calm. He was confident. He was, you know, relaxed. This is the kind of leader that I gravitate to. And then when he did that, that video, when he was talking to um, Nathan Zagura, and he said, you know, I'm, I'm a, a servant leader, right? And I get it. That's kind of like... I don't know, like cliche maybe, but it's better than leader of men, right? Like that's that's my thing. Because if I had to hear leader of men one more time in my life, I was gonna strangle something, guys. <laughs> I had enough of that phrase. So you know, he said servant servant leader, and I'm like, yeah, like he's talking about how he wants to do everything he can to help these guys grow. He wants to you know figure out ways to make them better all the time. He just he put me at ease. That's the best way that I could describe what happened today. And I think, you know, when you, a leader is just someone that you can talk to about things, right? You can go to with problems like Brie at work. What's your favorite kind of leadership at work? One that's supportive and has an openness to listen. Yes. So that's what, like, you know, I don't think, I understand the appeal of these guys who are very, you know, super macho and and loud and aggressive but you can't just write off somebody because they're not like that that's that's what i think 
Yeah, and let's talk about the offense and what we think we could see out of Kevin Stefanski because what I've been battling with people on, and this is probably one of the most common things that I've heard about the Haslam's making another mistake. And let's be real. We're not going to know this until it comes to fruition, until we actually play a football game. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of comparison right now to Freddie Kitchens and this being Freddie Kitchens 2.0. And I just want to debunk that whole thing right now. The only thing that is similar to Freddie Kitchens and Kevin Stefanski is the fact that they don't have a ton of offense, offensive coordinator experience. Kevin Stefanski actually has more if you want to go that route. But Freddie Kitchens was in a very unique situation two years ago when he was tapped as the offensive coordinator coming from a running back, running back coach that same year. Now, if we remember, that was the season that Hugh Jackson was the head coach. Todd Haley was there. We all seem to forget that Freddie Kitchens probably wasn't involved in creating the playbook and the scheme. Mm-hmm. When he was tapped as offensive coordinator, he was calling Todd's plays. Like, yes. let's just put that out there in the open. Yes. Thank he... you. Hi, Todd Haley. <laughs> Hello, Todd. <laughs> Where are you, Here by the way? Here we go. Here comes my conversation. So I think Freddie Kitchens... He, he obviously called the plays well, and it worked for Baker Mayfield, and we were all excited about how that season ended. Now, we gave Freddie Kitchens the ultimate power in being the head coach. Mm-hmm. Freddie Kitchens has never coordinated training camp before, not even as an offensive coordinator, right? So mm-hmm. I there's just so many things that when you look back in hindsight, that whole situation and that hire, we should have been way more concerned last year than we are this year. So I just am trying to level set, yes, Kevin Stefanski doesn't have the head coaching background and experience, but given the fact that he was in one organization for an extended period of time in multiple roles, he made it through multiple coaching changes throughout the building. That gives me a little bit more of a comfort level yeah. than I would have had last year with Freddie Kitchens. Right. And it, hindsight's twenty twenty. I get it. And I'm not saying things are going to be perfect and there's going to be a learning curve, But please, can we stop comparing him to Freddie Kitchens? So I will say this about the way Freddie ran training camp last year, because I so I've been with the Browns for three seasons. I had two seasons of Hugh Jackson, or I guess a season and a half of Hugh Jackson and then a season of Freddie. And one of the ways that Freddie kind of won the offseason and really got people excited, uh, you know, outside of the fact that we had Baker Mayfield, outside of the fact that. You know, there was Nick Chubb and there was Odell Beckham Jr. coming into training camp. Training camp was very, very different under Freddie Kitchens. The practices were in the morning rather than the afternoon. Practices never ended early. Like practice ended early so many times under Hugh Jackson. And if people weren't hustling, if Freddie didn't feel like they were putting in their full effort, they were running suicides. Like Freddie ran a legitimate training camp. And I think that that was one of the things that kind of helped heighten people's expectations so it, it's very interesting that you had brought up the the training camp Bree, because from my experience like the the training camp under hugh jackson was kind of like summer camp and yeah the, i'm not saying he, that hugh ran it right either but yeah but, and then the, yeah and then the training camp under freddie was kind of like the the bear bryant alabama boys like it was it, it like it was very tough and very rigid, which is why I think one of like we got caught so off guard by that first game against the Titans. But yeah, because we probably spent too much time focusing on all the wrong things and actually focusing on the right things. And I don't know what the right things are, but when you go from Hugh Jackson, who obviously was very lenient, and that all came out on Hard Knocks, 
and I think we saw in Hard Knocks, though, that Todd Haley was questioning the way that he was running training camp. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody was happy yes. with how he was running it. <laughs> yes. But then you go to Freddie Kitchens, who was a first-time head coach, didn't really have experience even leading the offense. I, again, think that's where the whole ego th- thing comes into light, where it's like, is he even listening to his coaching staff around him? Like, I just started questioning everything um, about Freddie as – Obviously, the season kind of started going down in turmoil. And Freddie ultimately was saying the right things. Like, he he came out and he said things that people wanted to hear, that he was running a tough practice, that they were focused on cutting down penalties. I mean, he, he was always saying the right things, but none of that ever translated on the field. Well, when you talk to the players, like, you would have Freddie come out and say, oh, we had such a great practice this week. And then you would hear players like Olivier Vernon come and say, well, I don't think we practiced that hard. I didn't think it was that great. So I yeah. think, and, and that was towards the end of the season too. Like I would say that was, you know, in like weeks, you know, 12, 13, 14, where you were hearing the players in the locker room say, well, you know, I didn't think that we had a very good practice. I think we could have practiced harder. I'm not confident in this, um, you know, in this game plan this week. So Freddie was saying one thing and the players were saying another, and that was very, very damning. And I think that was the point where a lot of us were, like thinking that no matter what happened in those last four to five games of the season, Freddie was going to be gone. When, when you hear Freddie come out and say, Oh, we had a great practice this week, best practice of the week. And then, you, and then Olivier Vernon's like, yeah, no, we didn't practice very hard. Well, yeah. Yes, and then yeah, at the end of the season, when uh, Monkin came out and said he never had a game plan, like yeah. everything just went completely out the window all the time. And, so and like, like <laughs> I don't want to stay on Freddie here, but what I will say is I just don't want to make that comparison because Freddie was given a shot to put in his scheme and an mm-hmm. offense, and he failed miserably. Yeah. I so mean, he, had his, he had his chance. I trust to an extent. Like, right now, Stefanski was with the Vikings for 14 seasons, okay? He, he rose to the ranks. He coached at different levels. He's done all of it. As Bree said, you know, he went through different regime changes, and they've always kept him. Um, he's done a fantastic job. It's spe- with K- he made Case Keenum look good, like right. legitimately good. Okay, guys, and you can say, oh well, you know, Kubiak, blah blah blah, Zimmer, blah blah blah. But these were his guys. These guys have they're praising him right now. They're saying, no, he is legit. He is the real deal. You guys got a good coach. Maybe you should start listening and say, hey, there might be some merit if these players are saying this. These players that have worked with him when he was a quarterbacks coach. Um, you know, this season he he was very like run heavy. He he made Kirk Cousins look better than Kirk Cousins probably is. Like cut him a little bit of slack. He's not Freddie Kitchens. This isn't the same old Browns anymore. I don't believe that. Yeah, and let's just just to talk about his offense. How many times were we yelling for Freddie Kitchens to run the ball? Like yes. we actually thought that Freddie Kitchens' offense was going to be about the play action. We yes. thought it was going to be run focused. We got all of these what John Dorsey brought in these great wide receiver weapons. You had Odell Beckham, you had Jarvis, you had Nick Chubb as your running back, you had a tight end that you believed in. We just thought we were going to have this explosive offense and that didn't come to fruition. And when you look at what Stefanski has done in Minnesota, I actually think our talent is an upgrade from what their roster is, especially at quarterback. And I still believe that Baker Mayfield will be a franchise quarterback. So I, I am trusting that he is going to get this right and especially when it comes to Baker Mayfield because we have to be honest Baker Mayfield is our key to having success so we have to buy in and if this is the guy to do that then I'm going to buy into that absolutely 
And, you know, it's... <laughs> I, I, I'll tell you guys this later. I read something funny about Baker Mayfield. The, now's not the time, all right? We'll all right. Pass oh, time. okay. <laughs> what a tease. What a tease, my goodness. That, actually, no, I'll just tell you anyway. So people have been fat shaming Baker. And yeah, 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 somebody, yeah. yeah, which is gross. And you guys really need to stop that. But today, somebody posted a picture. Of <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and they said five more pounds and they're going to start calling him Baker. <laughs> oh, no. Which is awful, and I do not accept that, but it, I just saw his name on the rundown here, and it made me laugh when I thought about it. So anyway, <laughs> today in the press conference, Stefanski said, you know, the sky's the limit with Baker Mayfield. So anyone that thought that, you know, Baker was in trouble in any way or, you know, his career was coming to an end with Cleveland Browns, because I saw people saying that, like, that was a real concern for some reason. Um, don't worry about that. I still 100% believe in Baker Mayfield. Um, as we were talking about Stefanski with Kirk Cousins, one thing that, you know, I saw this stat today and I wanted to tell you guys, uh, Kirk Cousins completed 62% of his passes outside the pocket, which was fifth in the NFL. In comparison, Baker Mayfield only completed 36% of his passes outside the pocket, 30th in the NFL. So we got the guy that helped Kirk Cousins do this, guys. This is a reason for celebration. Celebrate. Be happy. Be optimistic. So I have a theory. Uh, about the McDaniels bros, because I think that's what we're going to call them. I think that secretly a lot of the people that were on the McDaniels train was hoping that Tom Brady would have come to Cleveland with McDaniels. What the and hell I just is think, that? Yeah, I, I just, I legitimately think that the idea, and I'm going to try and keep this clean, but like the idea that Tom Brady could be wearing brown and orange just got people way too excited. And I think that was part of the thing that was stoking the flame of excitement for Josh Daniels, Josh McDaniels. So I just think that, uh, I mean, I think that's way out there. Even if Josh McDaniels had taken the job, I highly, highly doubt that Tom Brady would have come to Cleveland. He's either going to stay in New England or he's going to retire. Like, it, there's no in between. Like, he's not going to go to another team. So I, I kind of have a, that's my like slight theory about all of the people who were so hyped for Josh McDaniels and now, you know, are sitting in the corner crying with their tubs of Ben and Jerry's because <laughs> we didn't get McDaniels is because they probably think that we also lost Tom Brady because of it. God, I can't even follow this train of thought. Like all of it is just such a fantasy land that I'm like, it really why, is. why it would really you ever is. think Tom Brady would come to Cleveland? What I mean, why would you think Giselle would come to Cleveland? Come on. <laughs> I mean, what's her face? One of the Kardashians kind of came to Cleveland when yeah, she was with Tristan right. Thompson, right? Yeah, kind so. of. And also Cleveland, like, okay, let's be real. Cleveland and is awesome. And he cheated awesome. on her. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Cleveland is awesome. I would, I highly recommend it to anyone and everyone. People think I'm crazy back home when they ask me how much I love Cleveland and I without any hint of sarcasm say I absolutely love it because Cleveland rocks it really does so I I don't think that Cleveland would turn Giselle off I think that she would come here and fall in love with it the way those of us who have moved here have fallen in love with it but yeah I just like we never had Tom Brady Tom Brady was never going to come to the Cleveland Browns no matter what happened with McDaniels so I just I, I think that that is also part of the 
the like depression inducing like oh my god we didn't get Joshua Daniels like they're upset because they thought we also lost Tom Brady when we never actually had Tom Brady in the first place yeah yeah and you, well, are, you started to, to the Mc, with, yes to the McDaniels program. I was just gonna say I was like Meredith is jumping ahead to the bad but we're still on the good I know yeah. sorry yeah. sorry no, no, I just like I had that theory I had that theory and I had to get it out before I lost it because I really I really think that's part of this part of the situation we're gonna we break down the press conference a little bit more which we had listed under the good um, and as you guys know, there was a press conference today, and our new head coach looked clean. There was no sloppy-looking button-down shirt untucked underneath that suit. Because have you guys ever seen an untucked button-down? They look bad because they weren't meant to be more worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untuck It shirts always fall the perfect untucked length. With more than 50-plus fit combinations, Untuck It shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic. So Baker Mayfield, even if you're five pounds heavier, wear an Untuck It. You can choose from styles like wrinkle-free, button-down, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. Guys, whether you're shopping for the perfect gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit UntuckIt.com and use blue for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T dot com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. All right, guys. So let's break down this press conference because there were a couple of quotes that I think we could pull out, but nothing like we've had in the past year. And I have to say, I tweeted about this, but I watched the press conference after work. I was busy today in meetings. I couldn't catch it live. And I breathed a sigh of relief during the day that I didn't get an alert on my phone about some outlandish catchphrase <laughs> that happened and came out of it. Um, if you don't wear brown and orange, you don't matter. I didn't don't realize. Don't jump out of the plane if you don't put on the parachute. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize that that was such a huge weight on my shoulders that I've been carrying around for the last year. <laughs> but apparently that meant a lot to me. And... The one thing that came out of today was he he was quoted as saying, and this was about the players, personalities are welcome. Production is required. Go Ooh. ahead and print that on a shirt and sell a million Ooh. copies. That Well, we do have to add the uh, hashtag Cleveland Girl Gang uh, underneath that because well, may, maybe we'll have that's what B said t-shirts with that Zaddy. saying on it. Zaddy, Coach Zaddy. <laughs> Guys, I actually had to Google I had to Google Zaddy to be like, does this apply? Because I just have to tell the <laughs> do, do not Google that. <laughs> oh, don't Google it at work. Uh Google it on your phone when you're on your home Wi-Fi in incognito mode. So I know we're gonna catch some heat for this because you know, Brittany and I have been attacked over the last week or so by supporting Stefanski because people think we only like him because of his good looks. Yes. And we, via private text between Meredith, myself, and Brittany, we've been calling him Coach Daddy. <laughs> so when he got hired on Sunday, we were all like, Daddy, Daddy's coming, Daddy's home. And I just, you know, we that's just how we communicate to each other. So I was like, is Zaddy appropriate? Because that press conference, and I realized that Zaddy, you have to have swag. I don't know if his press conference had swag to it. Oh, it had it, swag. I don't think so. <laughs> Brittany's oh, like, had swag. swag to me. Okay, tell Brit me what Brittany and I completely swag. disagree. Like, we completely disagree on, on the press conference. So I'm going oh, yeah. to let Brittany talk because I, I have my own opinions about this press conference today. So as I was watching him, like, I, I, I got into it a little bit earlier. There's just this 
confidence, right? Like he just commands a room and it has nothing to do with his beautiful face, okay? It's just his demeanor. I think he's the kind of person that players are going to respect because he seems like the kind of guy who just wants to help. When they asked him about, you know, calling his own plays, are you going to do that? Are you going to do that? He said, I don't know. I'm open to whatever. You know, we'll discuss this. We'll figure out a game plan, which is so different from Freddie Kitchens when he was like, um, no, no one's ever going to call plays but me. <laughs> like, this is this I'm dri- on me. I'm driving the bus. Yeah. <laughs> this is my bus. Gosh, yeah. <laughs> My bus with testicles hanging <laughs> off it. <laughs> Just so you know, it's mine. No, but like, I thought he said all the right things. I, I think he, he, he made everyone feel at ease. There were a lot of people that um, were not excited about this, obviously. Um, I don't think I need to reiterate that. We all saw it. Um, but I also saw a lot of those people that originally were not excited about this get on board with it today after that press conference i think people were impressed with the way he carried himself he was you know very articulate he seemed very relaxed you know he gave a nod to all of his loved ones um he you know as Bree said he didn't say anything that was super cheesy and think catchphrases and sound bites he was just one thing that he preached was being authentic, and I think we really saw that today. Um, it wasn't super crazy, you know. It, I guess Meredith has a point. It was, I, I wouldn't call it boring or dull, but it was just like an adult entered the room and started talking. That's what it felt like. Like we actually have an adult there now. Yeah, I mean, to me, it felt like his personality. He had the personality of a wet blanket. Like I found the press conference oh, boo. so boring. Yeah, but here's the thing, and and I wrote this in my notes is that yes, it was boring. Um, I zoned out once or twice during the press conference, but it might be a good thing that it was boring, and that's to Bree's point of you know we're not receiving push notifications of stupid catchphrases that don't mean anything or don't yeah. make any sense. Like we're not. You know, we don't have shirts that say whoopty hell on them. So, I mean, it's possibly a good thing that the press conference was boring. Um, But I guess, like, when it comes down to it, like, I don't need a head coach to have a sparkling personality. Like, I don't need him to win Miss America. Like, I need him to win football games. Mm -hmm. But, and I will say this about press conferences. Um, I would say every coach, like all, what is it, 11 of them in the past 20 years or something ridiculous like that, I feel like they have all won their press conference in some way, shape, or form because it's very easy to show up looking the right way and saying the right things. I mean, Last year when Freddie Kitchens was introduced, he was wearing a Cleveland Indians hat and everyone was super excited about it because they're like, oh, my God, he gets us. He's supporting our other Cleveland teams. And it was like it was a big win. So it's so easy to win press conferences. And I'm kind of in the uh, I guess I would say I'm in the fence circle on the fence circle. Uh, because I've noticed a lot, at least with some fans that I've talked to, some of my colleagues, everyone is so hesitant to make any kind of predictions, to get excited about anything, um, especially since Stefanski has no record as a head coach. So we don't know what he is capable of as a head coach. So this entire season is going to be a season of what ifs. So I am definitely in the wait and see camp. Like I am excited to see 
what he will be able to do with our offense and with Baker Mayfield. I'm really excited to see what kind of staff he's going to bring in around him. Um, but I'm, I want to like hold things a little close to the vest and, and reserve judgment until, you know, week one of the regular season and we can really see what he's going to do. So, you know, until, you know, OTAs, all we have is this press conference to go off of where he came in looking like Mr. GQ, thanking his family and talking about taking them to Disney world or whatever. And what he's going to get them a puppy too, which is awesome adopt own shop but you know that's just kind of my feeling about press conferences and maybe it's also a little bit of ptsd too because with the amount of press conferences that i have sat through in my career whether it's nfl uh, nhl college sports baseball i have i have sat through a lot of press conferences so i don't get excited about them and i don't get super hype about what happens in them unless there's something off the wall crazy yeah, you're not the only one, Meredith. There are a lot of people um, that I think have the same feeling and thoughts as you do. And I think for me, I think this was probably the best thing that could happen because it, it there were no outlandish expectations coming out of this press conference. I, I feel like before it's been these like empty promises of, you know, the storied franchise and I know how passionate the fans are and we're going to bring you a winner and like all of these just promises. And I think with what we've been through, it, it just, it was just, it was a very real conversation and honest and there, he wasn't promising victory or wins or he was just very open about, yeah, I like a lot of the players on this roster. I'm excited about that. Um, I want to bring you guys a winning team. You deserve that. Um, but but for me, it just I just like kind of left it like, oh, OK, well, that was nice. And I feel calm and I'm not I'm not feeling like crazy like I like we did last year and there were no big yeah. splashes. And it was just a very different mindset, I think. Although he did do the uh, East versus West uh, thing. That was like one of the first things he asked about. He was like, oh, I'm still yes. learning East side, West side. And I thought it was actually kind of funny that anytime someone in the media stood up to ask him a question he wouldn't let them ask a question until they identified themselves as yeah, east side or cute. west side that was cute i like uh, that it was, it was a little funny i like i enjoyed that i tweeted about it it entertained me um and then i saw someone tweeting that uh they think the reason why the cleveland media is so miserable is because they all live on the west side and um as a newly minted west sider i take offense well, well, can I just say, though, I think um, our girl MKC, who we are now standing for, by the way, um, yes. she totally did not answer him initially. She just like went right for the hard hitting question of like, <laughs> we've all been here before. Why are you different? Yeah, she <laughs> has been stressed lately. She has. OK, she has done so many of these. Like she made a joke to me the other day that she could do these in her sleep. She's like, I have done so many introductory head coach press conferences and i think like honestly i think she's kind of sick of it and that's probably why she stood up and said i'm not playing into your east side west side bullshit just let me ask my goddamn question yeah well, that was hard <laughs> i don't think that was bullshit <laughs> he was just trying to be friendly right he was he was and you know yeah. you know mary Kay is she is a force to be reckoned with so you know she, don't mess with kind of feisty lately although to her credit you know there was a lot of um we'll get into this shortly i know uh, a lot of media fallout and there were true biases showing throughout this whole process i think but from a lot of people not from mary Kay. i did not see one thing that she tweeted or said during any time in this interview process that was like you know leaning towards somebody or putting anyone else down in any way i think she she was awesome she was very fair her reporting on this was great 
Yeah, she just, I mean, honestly, she just wants to cover a winning football team. I mean, she has been covering this team for 20 years, and it gets very difficult to talk about the quote-unquote same old Browns year in, year out, to get so frustrated with what you see on and off the field, the, to see the the soap opera and the drama. Like, she just wants to talk about football, and she wants to talk about a winning team. So I think that's kind of where she's at right now. And I think yeah. that's one of the reasons why, you know, she's been so even keel on everything because she's just like, you know what? I'm going to look at the facts. I'm going to report the facts and show me what you can do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I kind of wonder how much different a Josh McDaniels press conference. Oh, yeah. Let's we're going to I feel like we'll get into that a little bit yeah. in the segment. But there's one important thing that came out of this press conference that we have to just put out there. It was blatantly asked of Kevin Stefanski about handing the game plan over on Friday that he debunked. So that theory, that rumor that was floating out there on Sunday, Sunday night after the whole drama was happening on Twitter because Josh McDaniels didn't get hired. And we'll talk about that. But Kevin Stefanski said that is absolutely not true. And he what did he call it? He said it's silly season. Silly season. <laughs> Which like talk about shade. Like that was a little bit of shade throwing going um to the media there. Because, okay, yeah. so I appreciate the comment silly season, uh, because in the NHL, uh, when you talk about trade deadlines, like that's what it's called in in hockey because there are just there are so many like crazy things that happen in hockey approaching trade deadlines like it's always called silly season so I kind of appreciated that from him and also being from Minnesota hockey is super huge up there so I'm sure that's he, he probably had a little bit of that uh, hockey influence showing I had absolutely no idea that anything to do with hockey I just thought <laughs> it, it, it is yeah 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 silly season is a hockey thing so that's kind he of why I appreciated that he should have busted out and been like oh it's a bunch of malarkey <laughs> Uh, that's, that would have sold me on everything. Like, this guy's winning the Super Bowl. He just said malarkey. All right. So let's get into the bad. Because, guys, I don't know at what point this happened. But at some point, Josh McDaniels was like Jesus Christ. And it was like <laughs> he was Christ reborn. Superstar. He was the savior of the Cleveland Browns. Uh, that happened at some point, And... Things went down south in the Twitter world when he did not get the job. There were planes being tracked. And I didn't realize that this was like they were such a cult following for Josh McDaniels. And he didn't get hired. And I think a lot of fans were expecting him to get hired, which led to just the backlash of everything that happened I know like there were a lot of things that came out of his interview with his crazy demands. He wanted to essentially flip the organization upside down. I don't know if that meant roster. He wanted to clean house. What do you guys think of that? <laughs> okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Go. I'm cracking I'm, my knuckles got, over here. I got my popcorn. Let's go. <laughs> okay. First of all, guys, stop tracking planes. <laughs> That's, that's number one of why I deactivated Twitter on Friday because I knew this behavior was coming and I wanted to miss all of it. So I, I was texting uh, our our friend Angela. I was texting her and I said it's a, she was sending me you know screenshots of people you know flight tracker and oh he's going to Boston he's picking them up and you know oh maybe they're going to get you know Andrew Barry or Dodd and they're all meeting in this secret location and I'm like oh my god. 
all of these grown ass men are acting like Joe from you. All of them. <laughs> the, Josh McDaniels has flipped you into stalkers. Stop doing this. This is not normal, healthy human behavior. Don't track planes. And I shouldn't even have to say that sentence. <laughs> like you, you are adults, man. Grow up. Are you sure so, about that? So for after the first thing, second thing, second, you shouldn't have fallen in love with a guy you didn't know was coming. Yeah. Well, this is kind of like this seg this segment is really the bad and the ugly because essentially what happened with the bad, the ugly is everything that followed. So yes. I just have to clarify that this is the bad and the ugly. No, well, they they got so attached to this one single per and you know I get it. Oh, Canton, but like who, <laughs> who cares? Wow, wow. Right? Brittany. Like, well, I, so I'll I'll say this. I think one of the reasons why people were so attached to Josh McDaniels outside of the Tom Brady thing, but there was a lot of talk about adversity because there's been a lot of adversity on the Cleveland Browns, and Josh McDaniels has the reputation of being able to handle diversity he's been in playoff situations before he knows how to control situations okay. and so hold like up, that's sort up, of hold up nah i gotta stop you all right what do we what what kind of adversity has he faced behind bill belichick and tom brady i don't know that's just i i'm just reiterating the points that were that like, were made by what, everybody else and, of, and why they liked arguments, him these arguments just fall completely apart for him like i i don't get it i never got it i was i was on board with him because i thought okay he could work well with baker that's where like my good feelings ended yeah for him. i agree and i that was it man and like all of these people are like oh he's a hometown boy this was his dream job you know they were pushing all these videos and it it, it got to be a lot because i thought you know what if they don't take this guy these people are going to be heartbroken and they were and the thing that disappointed me the most was that a lot of the media members were also feeding into this. Yes. And I'm like, you have a responsibility to not be like this. And you're doing it. And you're enabling these people to act like crazy people. And, you know, I don't That whole situation just, it really got the best of me. And I couldn't follow it anymore. Yeah, I don't know, like, at what point it was Josh McDaniels or Bust. Like, he was the only answer for the Cleveland Browns turning around. And like I right. said at the beginning of the show... He wasn't a guarantee either. Like, no, he, he was a head coach before and it didn't go well. I was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt had he gotten this job and turning around in a second head coaching position. But let's be real. He's had Bill Belichick and Tom Brady to fall back on for how many years? Has he right. actually groomed a young rookie quarterback? No, he had Tim Tebow. He didn't want right. Tim Tebow. I, I mean, like there was no guarantee with any of them. And, and I actually was fine with four with the four candidates kevin stefanski josh mcdaniels meh i mean i was okay with i was okay with salah and i was okay with the enemy like i had gotten to a place where i'm like if they hire any of these guys i feel like those are probably our best case scenarios none of them are proven let's just i'm just gonna say that out loud none of them are proven so i'd already right. talked myself into we're going to hire one of them it doesn't mean it's going to work yeah and it sounded like from you know the reports it sounded like he came into the interview he said you know everything you're doing sucks um it, which is a ballsy move to go in and just tell ownership like hey if if you hire me understand that we're going to do everything my way we're going to clean house everything's going to be different uh take it or leave it well he left it and <laughs> that's kind of what happens in situations like this when you don't have a proven record of success when doing this you know they gave you the keys to denver and you blew it up so then you, I get it, it was 10 years ago, whatever, blah, 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 I'm tired of hearing that. 
But like he, that was his only, you know, that's his, his body of work as far as like doing things all his way, because otherwise it's Bill Belichick's way. So if, if it were Bill Belichick that came in the room and said, hey, we're going to do things my way. And Jimmy Haslam said, uh, no, piss off. Then I'd be like, okay, I, I understand why people are mad. But if Haslam said, uh, no, like, cool, I'm, I'm okay with that. You have not proven that your way works. You haven't. Yeah, and I think the argument on the other side is that the Haslams haven't really figured out anything that has worked either. So to assume that they have the right answers, given our track record of coaches, our losing records, our culture of losing and dysfunction, I understand that people are questioning, okay, well, the Haslams are the problem. The reality is the Haslams are the owners. So you yeah. still you still are going to work for them. Like There's no yeah. way around that. And I... Right. Uh, to your point, Brittany, I think going into a job interview and just expecting that you are the end-all be-all of whether this is going to work or not work is extremely egotistical and a turnoff. Like, it is. Like, if yes. you walk into any company and say everything that you guys do is shit and I have a better <laughs> right. answer for all of this, like, it's not going to go off well. I really hope that's, exa that's exactly what he said. If he, like, walked and looked to me, had some straight in the face and said, everything you do is shit. <laughs> like, I could see that happening. I mean, that's not like, wrong. <laughs> he probably worded it in a much room and, better and way. swinging it around and being like, oh, this is my place now. Like, no, it's not, Josh. This is, this is, you're walking into ownership right now telling them that they suck. Like, I wonder why he didn't get the job. <laughs> Listen, for every Josh McDaniels fanboy that has died, a new female Browns fan has been born with the hiring of Kevin Stefanski, and that is a guarantee. Uh, I will say, I, I will say the Cleveland Browns have a very large and knowledgeable female fan base, and I'm just so proud of of the Cleveland for women, women for that. And I just wanted to say that, but yeah, yes, yeah. and it has nothing to do with how Kevin Stefanski looks. But I will say, we might have gotten a few more female fans that have not been fans of the Cleveland Browns just based on right. that alone, right? I sent a picture to my sister. I was like, "Hey, what do you think of this guy?" Not telling her who. She's she's like, "Oh my god." <laughs> think of this guy i said uh yeah cleveland because her and i are always at like you know a disagreement about this because i have two nieces right and i've been pushing the cleveland browns on them since they were born and my sister's like no don't do that to my kids <laughs> <laughs> and i keep pushing and pushing and pushing well now we got you know this i'm not gonna say he's good looking because i'm not allowed to but we've got this guy and you know aesthetically pleasing and i <laughs> said go. i was like oh how you like us now huh <laughs> she's like all right all right i get it um i still think probably one of my favorite moments in the past month was when Brittany, you texted me a picture of kevin stefanski and this is like a month ago and you literally just said i would ruin my life for this man <laughs> i think what i texted you was even far worse <laughs> yeah no yeah i think there was a much dirtier version of it but i think i was la like i was legitimately laughing to the point where i was crying it was so funny <laughs> I know. Well, that's I a really good segue, Meredith, into analytics. Because yes. that's what gets me fired up. Let's go. <laughs> Let's we have been this. we have been waiting for like three days for Bree to get up on her analytics soapbox, and I am so excited for this. Yeah. Well, I don't. Do I, wow, this is a lot now. I feel very <laughs> pressured to perform, but I'll do my best because the elusive Paul D. Podesta spoke today for the first time Ooh. in a long time. And there have been this ongoing battle of our analytics versus the, you guys talked about it when I was gone. You talked about analytics versus the football guys or the nerds versus what you were, you guys calling them the jocks, the jocks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So 
it just felt like when all of these reports were coming out about turning in the game plan, the analytics guy having a headset, there was all this negative connotation surrounding what analytics are. And there were a couple of media members also speaking out about this in a negative light. And I looked at that and I was just so baffled because I work in a job that is very analytics based. And I work in a multi-million dollar business where every decision that I make could be a million dollar mistake or a good Mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. And I use analytics every single day to make these decisions. And the thing about it is they just help me make an informed decision. It's not the end all be all. I can still go the opposite way, but I look at years and years worth of history to understand what is going on, what I should be doing. And I could say, "Mm, I'm gonna go with my gut here because I wanna change things. It's just having the facts to say, should I be doing this? What has happened in the past? What should I be doing? What should I be looking at? It's nothing that we can be, that we should be scared about. It truly is just to make a more informed decision. And Kevin Stefanski spoke about that today. And I'm so happy because I think maybe he worded it in a way that was less scary about just making ourselves better. Why would you not want to have all of this information at your hands to make a more effective decision and to ultimately win football games. Isn't that what we want is to win football games? People act like this will ruin our lives. Right. They, I said the other night, they think that, you know, analytics means that you have to be Steve Urkel out there like that. You just need a team full of that. And that's not what this is. I think Stefanski did a great job today and uh, Dee Podesta, my personal hero. (laughs) They both spoke and they broke it down very simply for people to understand. Like this isn't some big, scary tactic that we're pulling right now. This isn't it's just information, information to help you get to where you're going. You want to win games. This information is going to help you do it. Sometimes you just have to, I don't want to say dumb it down, but you have to break things down for people in like a gentle way so that they can digest it easier. Well, you have have to simplify it, I think is what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, this is just, and I think kudos to them for doing that. Um, I hope that some people are now less scared of this whole analytics thing because it's not a scary thing. It's stuff that we use every day. I was talking to one of my friends the other day. He said, you know, it's your phone. Everything on your phone is analytics. Yes, 100%. That's why you see ads. Yes. Like this is just everyday stuff that you use and you don't even realize you're using it. But it's it's just people need to just calm down a little bit. Nerds aren't taking over the world. Well, they kind of are taking over the world. Yes. A little bit. It's okay. But But, I mean, and some of the best football teams in the NFL use analytics. The Ravens are known to use analytics. The 49ers Mm -hmm. use analytics. The Patriots use analytics. Like they they all do. Everybody does. And I mean, and I hate to break it down to you guys, stats are analytics. Like one of my favorite stories is a high school football coach in maybe Texas or something like that who never punted. Like they always, always go for it on fourth down. And I think they had like a 62% completion rate or something crazy like that. And this was like 10 years ago when I was still covering uh, college football exclusively. But I mean, that's a stat right there. That's analytics right there where you're looking at, you know, fourth and short and saying, OK, I, I know that analytics say that 62 percent of the time fourth downs are converted. Is this a situation where we want to see if we're going to be part of that 62 percent? So, I mean, that's yeah. that's really all it is. That's analytics yes. right there yeah. in a nutshell. 
And I will say, like, just as someone who works in a field of an- a very analytical role, it's really frustrating when you have a football guy. And, and this is my experience. I'm going to say we brought a football guy in who didn't want to listen to the analytics because it didn't support their point of view. And when you go through an experience like that, when you have history and trends and data backing up the points and the strategy that you were driving home, and you have someone come in that essentially says, I'm not going to listen to any of that because I want to do it my way is one of the most frustrating things that I've ever experienced. And if you want to talk about, a way to just bring in a very toxic work environment, that is the way to do it because you are essentially debunking data that makes you better and that should actually make the business better, whatever business you're in, and it can be the football business. You have someone coming in and saying, well, I think that I know everything and those numbers are all wrong. And that to me then drives that culture of essentially a dictatorship. Yeah, and I think that's what you've seen in the past. I mean, even with Freddie Kitchens, I don't know. I'm not going to say that he – I'm sure he's, like, very smart guy. But, you know, when you go into games and you just sort of wing it, which I think is what we saw a lot last year, look at the results. Like, wouldn't you rather have someone that had – you know, if he has a headset on and he's listening to somebody up in the booth saying, hey, you know, on this down, blah, 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 this percentage of – it's converted, like, blah, blah, blah. Do you want to do this? Like – I want someone up there talking to whoever's calling the plays and giving them this information. I don't understand why anyone would, would say, oh, no, let's just trust the football guy because he knows. You know what I mean? Pretty, like, it doesn't have to be like one or the other here. We can all work together, and this doesn't have to be this big, scary thing anymore. You guys don't think that the analytics team called down on that fourth and nine draw play? Like, that was like a huge <laughs> analytical, 100% analytics driven. Well, they say 62% of the time, fourth down gets converted. So that's probably what they were looking at. They're like, hey, look at this high school football team in Central Texas that never punts. Let's not punch. <laughs> I mean, just so many moments. Oh, man. Like, is there analytics of how, how, I can't, I'm not even going to say it. I'm not even going to say it. Um, Are you sure? Maybe you should say it. Well, now there's like an analytic on guys that hit people over the heads with helmets. Like, we now have (laughs) analytical data on the number of times that that happens in a game. So, um, there you go. The Browns provided a lot of very new analytical data that teams will be looking at for years to come. There we go. go. We did it, guys. (laughs) We made it. Well, that I think that wraps us up. Unless Meredith, I, I think you had a a rant. But we're, I mean, we're an hour in. This was I a, know. I, I don't know if we'll, great... we'll have. Yeah, it's been amazing. I don't know if I'm going to have time for the full on rant, but I did want to mention some of the other breaking news from this week. Um, MLB has found uh, AJ Hinch and Jeff Lunau guilty, and the Houston Astros guilty of cheating starting in 2017. Uh, since then, Hinch and Lunau were first suspended and then fired. Uh, today, Alex Cora got fired um and i have a lot of opinions on the astros and their cheating and we'll have to save it for a later podcast because uh we're already a little far into this but i will just say that uh even though the houston astros are cheater cheater pumpkin eaters they still could not beat the washington nationals in the 2009 world series thank you 2019 (laughs) world series and she's done yeah cheaters gonna mic drop (laughs) yeah that could have been us that could have been the browns uh 
All right. Well, this was a wonderful show. We got a lot off our chest. I'm very happy that we have closure in this coaching search. I hope everybody found this helpful. Make sure that you guys subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. Please continue to rate and review us. Interact with us on Twitter. Um, Maybe Brittany will come back. Uh, Beg her to come back or beg me and Meredith for her to come back. And we look forward to listening to your guys' feedback. Talk I'm to back. You. Oh, good. Okay, he good. is back. Don't go away again. Don't go away. Yeah, yeah, don't leave well, us again. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to you guys next week.